Well, welcome, guys. Good to see you here. Welcome to LifeBridge. Uh, very good to be with you this morning. I want to share information about one more thing with you, and that is about, um, Ian, if you can go to the next slide. We've got our conference coming up, our Fully Formed Life Conference, which is two weeks, and that is starting on the 15th. So next Sunday, we begin basically a couple weeks of a little bit of a, of a more intense time of focusing on our spiritual growth. So we've got, we've got some special events happening. We've got um, a keynote speaker that'll be on YouTube. We've got an Enneagram course that second week. Uh, so there's quite a bit going on. Guest speakers each of the next two Sundays. So there's just a lot going on, and we want you to come and be a part. This is really our, our two weeks where it's kind of our growth portion of our rhythm. So we, as we go through our calendar, we have times when it's pretty, pretty normal, like come on Sundays and maybe a little bit of other things. Then this is kind of more of our, our more intense time. And then we've got a time after that of, of kind of calm. And so we're trying to build into our church calendar rhythms of work and rest, growth, and sort of relaxation. So please come, be a part of it, starting next week, and, uh, and we're going to grow together. With that, I'm going to pray for us, and we are going to get started on um, today's sermon. God, we thank you so much for bringing us together. Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for a chance to gather together, and Lord, Help us to focus our attention for the next hour, to focus our attention on you, God, because you're worthy. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All righty. Please keep Pastor John Adams in your prayers. He is on sabbatical starting this week. That was a planned sabbatical. Nothing... Uh, He's not like having a, a breakdown or he might be. I, but last I last I know, it's just more of a there's it's more vacation. But he's gone till uh, he's gone till after Labor Day. So um, if you're visiting with us and uh, and you're like, well, the preacher was a little bit scattered today. That's normal when I'm up here. This isn't really my main gig, but uh, but bear with us. Today we are continuing. We've been talking about the two greatest commandments for a number of weeks in our fully formed life campaign. Uh, the first being, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the second, this is from Mark chapter 12, verses 31. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in the two weeks before, before um, today, two weeks ago, we talked about applying that idea of loving our neighbor to the world around us. So not just, not just Christians, not just our own family, but to the entire world. We are called to love those people. As, as, we, as we think back to the, the parable of the, of the Good Samaritan, and Jesus lays out this parable of this person who, in that time, to the, to the Jews that he was talking to, would have been a cultural, political enemy, and says, in this story, the Samaritan was the neighbor, answering the question, who is my neighbor? So we talked about that idea, loving our neighbor, those who are far away from us, maybe they, like, man, like, they just see the world so differently, who are maybe far away from God. Last week, we talked about loving each other in church community. The idea that, that if we're a part of God's family together, we should really deeply love each other. And today, we are apply, applying that same idea, the idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. Today, we're talking about family. I'm gonna read from Ephesians chapter four. This is Paul talking to the church in Ephesus. And he's talking to he is talking to this church that's largely made up of Gentiles, and he's talking to them about 
what it means basically to be a part of this new family in Christ and what it means to, to shift our perspective accordingly. So in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17, Paul says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off your old self. So I'm just going to basically walk us through a few examples of what it means to love our family well in the way that God defines it. Not in the way the world defines love, not in the way that we might think about love, but in the way that God defines love. And the first one is this. Loving your family means putting off your old self. See, just as the Ephesians had an old self, each of us has an old self. And family, in a lot of cases, can be a big part of that old self. Family patterns, past experiences. Your family experience, even if you were, even if you were raised in church, even if you were raised in the Christian faith, could be a part of your old self. Paul tells us, too, that we must put on our new self, our new self given by faith in Jesus, who is making all things new. And our new self means that we don't have to pass on our old self to future generations. So that's part of what it means to love our family well, is to put off our old self. Our new self means that we don't have to pass our stuff onto future generations. This is one of the big, big challenges of parenting. Who's a parent in here? I think probably most of us. I'm a parent. One of the big challenges of parenting is not making how you parent your kids about you. That's one of the signs of a, a good parent. It's like, ah, you just really got to sort of make it about them sometimes and not about you, right? And I don't just mean in terms of selfishness. Now, I, I do that sometimes. I'll like, you know, be like, oh, they need this, but I don't really want to get up right now, right? We've, we've all done that on some level at some point. There's a, he's like a Christian songwriter. He's got a song, it, I, what's his name? Andy something. He's great. Anyway, the first line of his song is, have you ever been so selfish that you finish playing your video game while you hear your baby crying? And then the next line of the song is, I haven't either, which is really funny. I think, it, I think maybe he had. That's sort of what it, you know. <laughs> but, but not making parenting your kids about you also means not putting your stuff on your kids. Because of Jesus, because of our new self, because of new life in Christ, you don't need to pass your insecurities, fears, anxieties along to your family. You don't, have, you don't need to pass on your unhealthy need for affirmation. You don't need to put undue pressure on them 
to achieve so that you can feel successful. Rather, you can put on your new self. And your new self can love your family well. So what's our new self? We're going to skip ahead a little bit to Ephesians, the beginning of chapter 5. This is right after he lays this idea out. We need to put off our old self. And then he says the word therefore, which means he's connecting what he's saying now to what we already read. And Paul says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So you think about how, you know, if you've got got young kids and they they look up to you so much and they want to be like you, right? And then they hit a certain age where that does not happen anymore, right? It changes. But there's that identity piece of they, they, they see the connection, the family. They look up to you as someone who literally their image came from you, right? And they want to walk in that. In the same way, we are supposed to have that same childlike faith and belief in God's love for us, God's acceptance for us as children of God. Loving your family, this is the second one. Loving your family means grounding your love in identity. So our new self, when we talk about our new self, we're talking about identity in Christ. And when we say identity in Christ, we're talking about that childlike faith in God's love and acceptance for you. When we can accept that simple childlike truth that God loves me not for what I do, but for who I am. When we ground our love in that identity, we can love our family well. We can love our family for who they are, not for what they do. Most, I mean, if you're a parent in here, most of us, we tend to spend a lot of time telling our kids that we love them, how much we love them, trying to think of new creative ways maybe to say it a different way so that it doesn't just like uh, become noise in, in the back of their mind, right? Um, and I tell my kids I love them all the time. It annoys them how much I tell them I love them, for sure. And you might, you might be the same. But why? Why do we love our kids? I ask my kids. My three-year-old doesn't quite get it yet. The other ones do. I say, when I put them to bed, I say, do you know that I love you? And they say, yeah. I say, why? And they say, because I'm your kid. And it's so simple, but it's the right answer. Because I want my kids to know that there's this truth that they're my kid no matter what they do. And they can't, they can't take that away. They can't change that. And I tell them, I can't help it. I'm crazy about you. It doesn't matter what you, I, it's like, it's, my heart wants to explode. There's, there's nothing, I'm not choosing, I'm not choosing this love for you. You talk about in marriage sometimes, like love is a choice. In marriage, that's true. With your kids, it kind of isn't. You're supposed to just love them like crazy because they're your kids. They're your image. They belong to you and they're never gonna not belong to you. 
I want my family to know they're my kid and that's enough. Doesn't mean I don't want more for them. Doesn't mean I don't care about their behavior. But they're mine. I couldn't stop loving them if I wanted to. That's what it means to have an identity as a child. And parents, this is a simple way. It's just a little tip, but it's a simple way to push past the surface with your kids. They grasp this at a very young age. Push past the surface of just, I love you, good night. Push past that with your kids. Love them for what they do. Or not, not for what they do. Love them for who they are, not for what they do. I think you get it. Another point on this, you can't outparent your own identity. If you don't have a grounded, a grounded identity in, in being loved for who you are, you're going to end up parenting out of your old self. Talking about when we make, when we make it about us, I talk to parents all the time, and a big blind spot that parents have and I have it too sometimes, I think, is we, we think our kids need something when really it's we who need it. Oh, my, my, kid, my kid wants to win the, the baseball league so bad, right? It's like, probably, but how much do you need it? And why? We need our kids to behave, to succeed, to achieve, to have friends, to be popular. And sometimes it's because of that's how it reflects on us. How others view us, how we view ourselves, is so wrapped up in our kids. Our identity has been reversed. And we are trying to, we're trying to get our identity out of them instead of passing a healthy identity down to them. And they pick up on that stuff. And they do it pretty young. We can't imitate God's love for others without first accepting God's love for us with a childlike faith. Once we accept and begin to understand that God's love for us is about who we are rather than what we do, we're freed up to love family the same way. We love because they're a part of us, just as God loves us because we're made in his image. And if we can't internalize that truth, if we can't understand it, apply it to our lives, we will be left seeking validation that our kids can't fill for us, that our family can't fill for us. And if, and if you feel like you've never had that from your parents, you've never had that validation from your parents, you might never and that's, I mean, it breaks my heart to say that, but, but I think we all, even, even those of us who've had great parents, we know that our, our parents can never fully give us that. We have to ground our identity in God's love. And when we parent our kids, we can't stop with how much we love our kids. We have to point them to the greater love. It's found in God. So when I ask my kids at night, why do I love you? They say, because I'm your kid. And I say, who else's kid are you? Who loves you even more than I ever could? 
We can't outparent for our kids what we don't believe about ourselves. First John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. It's so simple. It's so simple. But to apply it, to believe it about ourselves, because of sometimes because of our experiences, because sometimes some of the ways that our family has fallen short in loving us well, it can be difficult. It takes childlike faith. All right, third, loving your family means desiring God's best for them. Band, you guys can come on up and get ready. Who wants what's best for their family? When you think about your family, how much you love them, who's like, man, I really want what's best for my family? It's common to hear things like, I love you. That's why I want what's best for you. Or I'm disciplining you because I want what's best for you or I know what's best for you. These are common things to hear, common things to say. I need to do what's best for my family. But here's the reality, guys. In some situations, we don't know. We don't always know what's best for our family. Sometimes when we say what's best for my family, what we actually mean is what I'm most comfortable with for my family. God knows what's best for your family far better than you do. And it's hard sometimes to acknowledge that what God's best for our family might be is clearly not as easy, comfortable, or disruption-free as we might like it to be. Matthew 10, verses 34 through 39. Jesus is speaking to his disciples here, and he says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and, pers- and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Gosh, do I spend a lot of time trying to find my life with my family, trying to, trying to create, cultivate, structure, build what I've determined is best. Find my life. Find our life. We're just trying to build a life together, right? In this passage, Jesus makes it clear. Now, when he says he's bringing a sword, he doesn't mean literal violence. What he's saying is, if you put your trust in me, your entire family won't like that. If you follow me, if you become my disciple, your entire family is not going to always be on board with that. It's going to cause conflict. He's talking again in a largely a largely Jewish setting where what, what he's basically saying is if you decide that I'm the Messiah that you've been waiting for, a lot of your family is going to say you're wrong. There's going to be conflict. Jesus makes it clear that when family is idolized, it keeps us from relationship with him. 
When family is idolized, it keeps us from relationship with him. Now, this is hard. It's hard for me to say, yeah, I love God more than my, my kids. Because I see my kids every day. It's a different kind of relationship, right? But we can idolize our family, and we can idolize what we've determined is best for our family. And when we do that, we are robbing ourselves of the abundant life that Jesus has for us. Two, just two kind of, two points on this. If you want God's best for your family, the first thing I would say is leave space for God to move. Leave space in your vision of family for God to move, for God to change it, for God to grow it, to expand it. Don't structure the work of the Holy Spirit out of your lives completely. Don't insist on ease and comfort for your kids, even though you, want, you don't want them to have a hard life, but don't insist on that. Don't map out the future and define it down to a T. Don't try to control every outcome for your kids. Allow God to move. This is one of, for me, this is one of the hardest things about parenting that I always come back to. If, if, in, like, if zoomed in to each individual instance, if I do the best thing for my kid every single time in that moment, zoomed in, close, and I say, what's best for my kid? What's best for my kid? What's best for my kid? And I do that every time. When I zoom out after years, I'll look back and say, I did not do what was best for my kid. I want to, I want to, we call it lawnmower parenting, right? Like I do this and they can walk behind on the freshly, freshly mowed short grass and their life is good and it's easy and it's comfortable. And when we do that, it feels, it really feels like what's best for them. But we have to leave space for God to move for God to put his imprint on your vision for your family and say, hey, this is something that I have for you that might not make a lot of sense. And it might be hard for you to justify how this is gonna be the best thing for my two-year-old um, or my baby's sleep schedule or, um, or my high schooler's college aspirations. I can't really see how this is gonna be the best thing for that, but God, I feel you calling me to do something. And so I have to trust that it's better even if I can't see how right now. Second, allow God to define your family. As Christians, we are part of a new family, the fellowship of believers, and this should redefine how we see family. That doesn't mean that, that, doesn't mean that our biological families, the people who live in our homes with us, we don't love more, but it means that we're also called to be hospitable to those in need, family or not, Christian or not. It means we're supposed to meet needs of others to open up our homes, to share in what we've been given. A lot of that stuff, it's really easy to look at that and say, not best for my family. Certainly not what my gut would say is best for mine. But if it's what God is calling you to do, of course it's best. We're gonna sing now, and I'm just gonna pray as we go into that around this simple idea. We need to trust in God's best for our family. That it's better than what we can devise, structure, and map out on our own. Would you join me in prayer? 
Lord, as we, as we come together and, and prepare to sing and, and lift you up in, in song and in worship, God, I pray that we would be open in our hearts to what you're calling us to do in the area of family. It might be something as simple as forgiving somebody. It might be something a lot bigger. But God, I believe with all my heart that you have so much more for us than we have for ourselves in this area. And that we limit you. We limit your Holy Spirit. We limit your blessing on us. to what we feel like we can control. God, I pray that you would challenge us and move our hearts in that area today. God, that we would not simply define what's best for our family by what we're comfortable with, by what we understand, by what makes sense to us on paper. Help us have a bigger faith than that. In Jesus' name. Think about how we, uh, we freak out about screwing up our kids, right? You, they, uh, I don't know, you see, they see something like in a movie that you didn't know they were watching or like they, uh, you kind of like freak out on them because you're in a really stressful moment and they're tugging on your pant leg or whatever it is. And I think we spend a lot of time in fear that we are going to screw up our kids, we're going to screw up those relationships. And we, we sort of are in some ways. We're not going to do it perfectly. I have this theory that I, you know, most kids grow up and they do, it's not a theory, I'm not making up a theory right now, but parent, our kids grow up and they do things differently than their parents did for the most part. Some don't, but to a large degree, and maybe just a little bit differently, but differently. And I, and I spent some time wrestling with that idea because I don't parent the way my parents parented. It's very similar. I'd say it's probably 90% the same, a lot of the same values. But it's also different. And if someone said to me, how did your, like, What's something from your childhood that like, that like stayed with you or whatever? I have answers to that question, things that were hard, right? And I had really, really, really good parents. My kids are going to have that stuff someday. When they sit in like their freshman humanities class or whatever, and the teacher's trying to get them to like, you know, come out of their shell, they'll be like, mom and dad did do that, right? I realized that I want, my parent, I want my kids to look back and say, mom and dad did a pretty good job. But I can do better. If they do that, I actually did a good job myself. So I think sometimes you just have to take the pressure off a little bit. Put hope in a God who's not going to let us down. You guys can have a seat for just a minute. You could have before. I could have just started with that. <laughs> I just realized, I was like, everyone's still standing.
Got a couple more. Loving your family means loving others. When I say loving others, I mean others outside your family. You can't love your family well if you only love your family. Many Christians fall into a trap of attempting to live out their Christian faith solely in the context of their family. If you ask them, who are you investing in? My family. Who are you sharing the good news of Jesus with? My family. Whose needs are you caring for? Who are you discipling? Who are you living sacrificially for? My family. When we do this, we aren't living the gospel of Jesus. We're creating our own gospel that places our family on the throne of our lives. Putting all your time, energy, and resources into your family might feel like loving them well, but it's actually a failure to love them well if it's a failure to point them to the way of Jesus. I'm going to read a, just a script. I don't have a slide for it, but in Luke, uh, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is walking along the road doing his ministry, and he says to a guy, he says, hey, come follow me. The guy says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, we have to apply this verse because we follow Jesus in the same way that the disciples did. But there is a sense in which that is a once in all of eternity, all of history opportunity to do life with the physical embodied Jesus. And he's saying like, no, I'm here right now. Like, this is it. I'm going. Like, come on. You know, and, and he understands in the same way that he tells the rich man, you need to give away your possession. He, possessions. He understands that if you're really going to follow me, this has got to be, it's got to be your priority. And so I can't have you one foot in the door, one foot out. So this is not to say that we shouldn't honor, you know, our parents with funerals when they pass. This isn't to say that we shouldn't respect our family and, and those sorts of things. They had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that none of us will ever have to actually be in physical presence of the embodied Jesus. This is just one example of something that Scripture makes abundantly clear. As much as we are to love and be devoted to our families, they actually aren't always supposed to come first. They aren't always supposed to come first. This sounds a little heartless in our context, but it can actually be really healthy. Parents, your kids need to see that your world actually extends beyond your family. They need to see you serving others as a part of your faith, not just serving them. That's the difference between modeling servitude and just raising them with the expectation that, that you're there to meet their needs. They need to see you do it for someone else. They need to see that sacrificing, living sacrificially, giving of yourself is a part of your faith, not just something you do for them. They need to see that teaching and discipling and investing in people is a part of your faith, not just something you do for them. 
They need to know that you're willing to put down what you're doing, change your plans, maybe open up your home, maybe go run an errand, whatever it is. Do something to meet the needs of someone besides them. Your kids need to see that you're willing to disrupt your life and theirs to do what God calls you to do. I, I can imagine some people thinking, look, I get what you're saying, but I'm not a pastor, I'm not a missionary, I've got enough on my plate with my two, three, four, five, how many, ever many kids you have, right? So that's really all I can handle, and that's where I need to focus my time and energy. But if you want them to grow up to follow Jesus, they need to see you following Jesus. And they won't see you following Jesus if what you're actually doing is orienting your entire life around them. Putting all your time, energy, resources into family might feel like loving them well, but it's actually a failure to love them well if it's a failure to point them to the way of Jesus. Lastly, loving your family means bringing them along on mission. When I say on mission, I'm talking about the Great Commission from Matthew 28, where Jesus tells the disciples, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And actually, right before that, he talks about the authority that was given to the Father is now given to them, just what we just sang about, what Dan talked about. He says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So when I say mission, that's what I'm talking about. We have a mission as disciples of Jesus to make more disciples of Jesus. We believe that Jesus is bringing kingdom restoration to this world, that eternity in that kingdom is available to anyone who puts their faith and their trust in Jesus and follows Jesus. So we have a mission. We've got work to do. And sometimes family and mission they don't fit together very well. But loving family well means finding ways to bring them along. Don't neglect your mission for your family, kind of what I just talked about. Don't just stay focused on your family. Mission is a part of our faith. It's not something we can take or leave. It's a part of what it means to follow Jesus. If you want your kids to follow Jesus, if you want your family to follow Jesus, you've got to be on mission. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. This is, again, a very similar timeline of Jesus about to ascend into heaven. And, and one of his disciples asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He doesn't tell them in Jerusalem. Samaria is like we already talked about. That's where nobody wants them. The ends of the earth is uncharted territory. Parents, we should strive to raise kids who can carry forward the mission of the gospel, not just in familiar territory, but in unfamiliar, faraway, and even unwelcoming territory. 
At the same time, don't neglect your family for your mission. I was reading this week as I was, as I was preparing this about Bob Pierce, who founded World Vision. And he was on mission to the point that he was spending 10 months a year away from his family around the world. Neglected his family with predictably sad outcomes. You don't have to choose between family and mission. It's a false choice. Bring them along. Find ways to bring your family with you on mission as a part of a healthy, God-ordained life rhythm of work and rest. We love our family well when we bring them along on mission. Okay, I'm going to quickly recap these. Loving your family means putting off your old self so that you don't put your stuff on your family. Grounding love and identity so that you can love your family for who they are, not for what they do. Desiring God's best for them, which might mean surrendering what you think is best. Loving others because they need to see that your world doesn't revolve around them. Bringing them along on mission because it's a part of what it means to follow Jesus. Now, obviously, this isn't every single thing. You can say, well, loving means forgiving. Loving means being patient. Loving means being kind. Loving means happy for them when they succeed and being sad with them when they're sad. That's right. But I do believe that if we can capture these five big picture things, understand them, internalize them, and apply them to our lives, Some of the stuff that right now seems really hard, like forgiving or being kind or being patient, if we do this, that stuff happens. That's no problem. That stuff becomes easy when we can, if, if we can do these things. But at the core of this, at the core of this is, is that simple question about what's best for my family. Is it what I think is best or is it what God thinks is best? Who's in charge of my family? Who's in control of my family? You can have a lot of sleepless nights. Just, and I've done it, just sitting thinking about the things about your family that you cannot control. There's so much that we can't control. There's so much in our world that's broken. And there's no, there's no diet for all of it. There's no nap schedule for all of it. There's no college for all of it. It just doesn't exist. Can we trust in a God that's not going to let us down? 
we trust in God's best. And the people in this room, there's going to be in the next 5, 10, 20, 30 years, there's going to be some huge moments of rejoicing around family, around just the family of the people that it's represented here. And there's going to be some moments of deep, deep loss and sorrow. Can we do these things so that we're ready for the hard times, for the good times? I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing one more song. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for that model of love, for that love of a father. help us, that can change our hearts, Lord, when we experience that. We're forever changed. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that can empower us to do these things. We don't just have to try hard out of our own power. We don't just have to do our best. God, you can empower us. You can guide us and direct us. You can ground us. make us new. God, the, the stuff about me, Lord, that I don't want to pass to my kids. You can take those things away and you can do it through a process of renewal over time or you can do it in a moment, God, but I believe that you can do it. God, we believe that you change lives. wouldn't be here if we didn't believe that. And so often with our family, we just forget it. We just forget that you can change lives. You can change hearts. Help us to put our faith, our trust, and our identity in you today. In Jesus' name.